Cornerstone Church of Dothan, Alabama is built on the unchanging Word of God. We believe the life-altering message of Jesus Christ is still the only power on earth of changing a human heart. Now, let's join today's message. Praise the Lord. We're so thrilled to be here. and I believe this is a, a divine appointment tonight. I believe it's a divine time in the life of this church, even in the life of our ministry, my, myself and my, my wife. There's my beautiful wife right there. Everybody say, hey, Paige. Hey, man, it's good to see my baby up there. And uh, we have, uh, for the last year, we have been itinerant missionaries, and we spent seven months in Manchester, England, where we worked with churches and Bible schools and just working on evangelism and how to grow the church. And we have passion. We have a passion to seek and save the lost. We are passionate. My heart, I wake up every, every day thinking about the lost. And then we have a passion to disciple and develop believers, to grow people up, and then build relationships one person at a time and, and, and really to grow in that area. And so that's what we've been doing. We, uh, we uh, left our church where we were pastoring and, and decided to go out on the road, and we've been doing it now for a little bit over a year. And uh, we just have a passion for churches we love your pastors, and they've been very helpful to me over the years, known them over the years, and very excited about what God is doing here in this house. So we believe your best days are ahead. Amen? And uh, if you want to learn more about our ministry, if you would like to support us, everything that comes in through our website or everything that comes in through monthly partners goes to send us back on the mission field. We're going back to England this summer and do some work over there again. So if you would like to know more about us, go to WhitmanMinistries.org and you'll find out what we're doing. Hey, open your Bibles tonight to the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 is kind of one of those hallmark scriptures that reverberates in my soul and, and goes deep down and explains God's passion and his desire for us today. And there in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering, very patient to usward, not willing that any should perish. Catch that. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's not God's will. It's not God's plan. It's not God's desire that any should perish. And that word perish there means to be destroyed and to be eternally separated from God. It is not his will, it is not his desire, and it is not his plan. A lot of people are always asking, what's God's will? Well, I'm here to tell you, it's not God's will for any to be lost. And he has great patience because he wants all to come re to repentance because on that day when he returns, there will be a great mass of people the greatest mass ever that will enter hell that day. Think about it. There are billions of lost people on the planet today, and the reason he didn't come back is he doesn't want a single one of them to be lost. Not a single one. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your anointing. Oh, Father God, tonight we thank you for this divine appointment. We thank you for this time. Now, Lord, deposit seeds in our hearts. Deposit your word and your desire into each one of us. And, Father God, we thank you for divine impartation and divine revelation knowledge to flow forth in Jesus' name. And everyone said? 
You know, there was a little boy one Christmas, and he got a baseball bat and a ball for Christmas. He was super excited about it. Went out in the backyard, started throwing the ball up and swinging and doing all that kind of stuff. Threw the ball up, swung really hard, and he missed the whole thing. He yelled out, strike one, and the little fellow picked it up again, said, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. Started bouncing around, you know, threw the ball up, swings big, misses again, yells, strike two. Well, the little kid's confidence is a little bit shattered, you know, picks up the ball, and he goes, Babe Ruth on us, I am the greatest hitter in the world. Throws that ball up, swings with all his might, misses it, strike three, you're out. Little boy's kind of dejected, drops the bat, ball's on the ground. But all of a sudden, he gets this little gleam in his eye. All of a sudden, he starts bouncing around. All of a sudden, he starts jumping, and he shouts, I am the greatest pitcher in the world. <laughs> little fella, just like all of us, we want to hit that last shot to beat Auburn or catch that last pass. Wait a second, I'm in South Alabama, right? Okay. But, but the thing is, we all want to live a significant life. We all want, all want to have a life of significance or a life that leaves a mark. Everybody knows we were here. But in order to lead a life of significance, you must have a life of purpose. Amen? People who are significant are people who knew what their purpose was and they fulfilled their purpose. See, Jesus was the most significant person to ever walk the planet because he understood what his purpose was and he fulfilled his purpose and he continues to fulfill his purpose every day in each and every one of us in this earth today. Think about that purpose. Jesus said very simply, I came to seek and to save the lost. Luke 19 and 10, very clear, very succinct. He said, I came to seek and to save the lost. I like what it says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. It says, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might what? Destroy the works of the devil. See, the greatest work of the devil is not sickness and disease. The greatest work of the devil is not poverty. The greatest work of the devil is spiritual death. Sin and separation from God. And the thing we have to realize, he said, I came to seek and to save the lost. I love what it says over here in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2. We want to be very clear about purpose and very clear about what God's will is for each and every one of us. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3, it says this in the New Living Translation, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved, everyone to be sozoed, everyone to be delivered, everyone to experience new life. The, the life that, that happens when God takes that old stony heart out and puts a new heart in the inside of each and every one of us. It is his desire, it is his will that all of us experience that. Any of you remember the day that that old stony heart was taken out of you? And that new heart was put in you. And then all of a sudden there was life and love that you didn't even know existed before. He said, it is my will. He wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Seek and save, disciple and develop. 
seek and save, bring them in a great church like this, and then grow them up so we can all go out there and do it again. He has a heart for the lost. See, the thing that is very, very clear is that Jesus was able to fulfill his purpose. He was able to fulfill what he was called to do because Jesus had a heart or a passion for his purpose. Flip over your Bibles to Luke 15. And Luke 15 should be mandatory reading for every single one of us over the next week, especially as we come into Easter and, and we prepare for the, for the Christian Super Bowl. Resurrection Day, I'm here to tell you, it's our Super Bowl, folks. It's the day when we get to say Jesus is risen. Come on in and receive Christ. Receive all that he has. And over here in Luke 15, I'm going to be reading the first couple of verses out of the Amplified. It says this. Now, the tax collectors and the notorious and especially wicked sinners were all coming near to Jesus to listen to him. What a great statement. What a great verse. I'm here to tell you, sinners love Jesus. Sinners like to hang out with Jesus. But notice what it said here. The Pharisees and the scribes kept muttering and indignantly complaining and saying, this man accepts, this man receives, and this man welcomes preeminently wicked sinners and eats with them. My goodness, he's an awful person. I'm here to tell you, if they'd had iPhones back then, the religious people would have been outside getting pictures. And the next thing that would happen, they'd be posting it on Facebook. And all the other religious people would be going, like, like, like. Jesus is the worst guy ever. Ah, oh, but the sinners, what were the sinners doing? The sinners are eating lunch with Jesus. Jesus is down there eating fried chicken, man. And they come up and they get a selfie. Me and Jesus eat lunch, come see. Like, like, like. The notorious wicked were comfortable with Jesus because he loved them, he had compassion for them, and he didn't criticize them, ridicule them, and condemn them. What did he do? He reached out to them. So Jesus is here. He's got all these notorious wicked people, and instead of talking about their sins and their shortcomings and how terrible their lives were, he said, let me tell some stories about what I really feel about you and how I really care about you. And he, he told a story about a shepherd who had 99 great sheep, 99 in the sheepfold, but one went missing. One was lost. And he said that shepherd wouldn't stop, wouldn't sleep, wouldn't eat till he went out and he found the one that was lost. And he said when he found that one that was lost, he put him up on his shoulders, and he came back rejoicing and said, let's all rejoice. And he said, it's just like that in heaven. When one person comes home, one person, that old heart gets taken out, a new life gets deposited, a new heart, all heaven rejoices. You know, I was a little boy one time. I was six years old. We were at the state fair in Birmingham. Remember when we had the big state fair at the fairgrounds back in Birmingham? years ago before most of you were ever born. And I was six years old. My mom put me on a little pony ride. So I get on this little pony ride, having a really good time. I get off on the wrong side, and the fair is super crowded. I get off, and all of a sudden, I realize I'm lost. I don't recognize my mom. I'm about this tall, looking around. I don't see anybody I know. 
My mom's on the other side. She saw me get off. And she didn't look to her best friend who had my sister Laura and say, you know what, Marcus is lost. One out of two ain't bad. 50%, that's okay. I can live with that. Matter of fact, I don't like Marcus anyway. I like girls better. No. Think about it. If you have a child that goes missing, I've got six grandkids. i got five grandsons. I know I don't look that old, but I do. And if one of them goes missing, we use everything. Facebook, Snapchat, you, things I don't even know about. We use it to find that one that's lost. Folks, that is the attitude that Jesus had. And he was, he was conveying this to them. You are valuable. You are precious to me. And I will do everything I can to come and find you and seek you out and bring you home. And then he said, we're going to rejoice and have an amazing party. The happiest place on earth should not be Disney World. The happiest place on earth should be this church every Sunday morning. Come on, can I get an amen from you? Yeah, absolutely. Because when one person says, Jesus, I come home. Oh, my God. All heaven rejoices, and something supernatural occurs. The greatest miracle that can ever happen is a stony heart's taken up, and a new heart is put in, and new life has begun. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And then he tells a story about a woman with the ten coins, and I like to say it kind of like this. It's like a headdress with ten precious, valuable jewels, and one went missing. She turned the house upside down, looked everywhere, and she didn't stop till she found that one. Every lost person in the wiregrass area is a precious jewel that was designed to be the headdress of Jesus. Everyone's valuable, precious. And what's valuable and precious to Jesus needs to be valuable and precious to us. Think about that. How about the last story, the one you're familiar with, the lost son? He got away from father's house. He got away from things, and he began to live a life and do things that were worthy of criticism, worthy of talking about, worthy of pointing fingers. But the father every day got up, and he got on the porch. And every day he was on the porch, and this is the scene of the father. He's looking for the son. Maybe this is the day he comes back home. Maybe this is the day that I finally see him. And I love what it says in the Word of God. And while the son was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion. Oh, did y'all catch that? Jesus is telling all these notorious wicked sinners that he's talking to, I have compassion for you. I have a heart for you. I have a desire for you. And notice what he said. He said, while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. He kissed him. He rejoiced. He said, for this son of mine was dead. He's alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Folks, there's only two types of people on planet earth today. And it's not male and female. It's not black and white. It's not tall and short. And it's not people who have great hair or people like me who have a perfect head and it's bald. No. There's only two types of people on the planet. It's those that are lost and those that are found. And that's it. There's no in between. You're either lost 
or you're found. And if you're lost, you're not misplaced like that coin. If you're lost, you're not lost geographically like the sheep. If you're lost today on the planet earth, it means that Jesus does not live in your heart. It means that you're being destroyed and you're dying and you're destined to hell eternally if something doesn't change. And as believers, we have to realize that. And as believers, when we go to Walmart every day, we got to realize we just walked by somebody and they were either lost or found. And if they're found, they're a child of God and the family of God. But if they're lost, they do not experience the peace, the love, the acceptance, and the assurance that you and I do. Folks, I'm here to tell you, in this crazy world today, I can't imagine being lost. I have been found for the last 36 years. It's the best 36 years of my life. Because every day the Savior walks with me, talks with me, and the Spirit of God ministers to me. My goodness. Then the religious brother comes and talks to his dad and says, what were you thinking? What are you doing? He is a terrible son. He's done awful things. You should be scolding him. I love what the father said, but we had to celebrate. Everybody said we had to. Yeah, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he is found. Glory be to God. I'm here to tell you, there will be some shaking going around in every single church service on every single Sunday morning because people are getting born again, and there should be some jumping and shouting. That's when we run around the church. That's when we go into that dance, folks, when somebody comes home and accepts Christ, and then we go to work to disciple them and develop them and raise them up. Yeah, that's the heart of God. I love the verse over here in Matthew 9 and 36. Matthew 9, 36, and I've added a few words here as I've done some studies. And this is Jesus. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion because they were distressed, harassed, helpless, dispirited, confused, aimless, and fainted, and they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. See, Jesus had compassion, but really compassion is empathy. And empathy is different than sympathy. Empathy means I see the world from your point of view. Empathy means I get inside your shoes and I understand where you're coming from. And Jesus was moved. Anytime you get in somebody else's shoes and see it from their, their point of view, it moves you to relieve the suffering. Not just to be sorry about it, but to do something about it. And, G and then Jesus said, let's pray that laborers would be sent to the harvest. Sin laborers, sin laborers, sin laborers. He was moved with compassion. See, today, our hearts, our vision has to be on the lost and the same compassion that Jesus has for them, we must have. See, Jesus understood his work. His parents came looking for him when he was 13. They said, hey, where were you? He said, didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? I'm here to tell you his business is my business. His purpose is my purpose. His desires are my desires. Let me prove that to you over here in the book of 
2 Corinthians. Flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, how many of you can quote 2 Corinthians 5.17? Can anybody just quote that for me while I'm looking for it in my Bible? He's a new creature. Old things passed away. Behold, all things are brand new. Amen. How, how many of you can quote 2 Corinthians 5.21? Now, we'll get into advanced Bible studies now. How many can do 521? That's the one about being the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, right? That's 521. But you know what? For years, I forgot to read verses 18, 19, 20. I, I didn't even know they were in the Bible, really. I mean, I'd done my part. I went to school, went to Bible school. I learned my verses. 2 Corinthians 517, 2 Corinthians 521. I forgot verse 18, 19, 20 were actually in there. Let's take a look and see what it says. In verse 18, it says, But all things are from God, who through Jesus Christ reconciled us to himself, received us into favor, and brought us into harmony with himself. I'm here to tell you, if you're a child of God today, you're in harmony with Jesus. You are in harmony with him. You are connected. You are united to him. He said, brought us into harmony with himself and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation that by word and deed, we might aim to bring others into a harmony with him. It was God personally present in Christ, reconciling and restoring the world to favor with himself, not counting up and holding against men their trespasses, but canceling them and committing to us the message of reconciliation, of restoration to favor. And how many of you are super glad you've been restored to the favor of God? Aren't you thankful for grace? God doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. But then in verse 20, it says, so we are Christ's ambassadors, God making his appeal as it were through us. We as Christ's personal representatives beg you for his sake to lay hold of the divine favor now offered you and be reconciled to God. Folks, I have an occupation. And my occupation is evangelist and pastor and itinerant minister. That's my occupation. But my ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. Did you catch that? See, just because I have a job that has me working, that still doesn't mean I don't have a ministry of reconciliation. Everybody say, I have a ministry. Everybody say, I'm called to the ministry, the ministry of reconciliation. And in this ministry, you're literally called to be an ambassador. What does an ambassador do? An ambassador represents their king or the sovereign and comes in and represents them as though they were personally there. And I love what it says here in verse 20. It says that we are his personal representatives. Number one, as an ambassador, I'm the personal representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, I have been, been empowered by my Lord and Savior. And number three, I have a message to deliver. And that message is God loves you. Come on home. He's not mad at you. Be restored to the favor of God. Let Jesus, let God, let the Holy Ghost change your life. And I love that part. It says, I am a personal representative. I'm here to tell you, folks, you are the FedEx. You are the UPS. You are the U.S. mail of heaven. You are get to deliver. And I don't care if it's hot, cold, snow, sleet, rain, you've got a message to deliver. And it's that Jesus loves you, Jesus saves, Jesus delivers, come on home. 
We all have the responsibility to be ambassadors for Christ. We all get to deliver that message. But remember, an ambassador is sent to a group of people or a specific group. If you're the ambassador to the UK, you're sent over to the United Kingdom. Uh, I was, uh, I met the secretary to the ambassador of the UK for America, and she explained to me how when they are in the embassy, it's like a little America with all the laws and the rules thereof. But then they come and they deliver a message for the king. Well, I'm here to tell you, you are sent to a specific group of people, and I like to call those people Franks. You're sent to Frank. God wants you to influence five or six areas or groups of people every single day. F, it's up there on the screen, stands for friends. I love friends. Friends are the people that we play with. Friends are the people we go golfing with, we hang out with. Oh, but then R stands for relatives, the people you're stuck with. Any of you ever been stuck with some family? Come on now. Come on now. Don't leave me up here hanging. Yeah, absolutely. You need to go to that family reunion that you've been avoiding because Aunt Flossie Mae needs to hear from you. Come on now. A is for associations, people you work with every single day. That guy at the, at the water cooler, that guy who's always driving you crazy, that individual that just, it's like, it's like fingernails on the chalkboard. That's one of your Franks. How about in? That's for your neighbors, people you're close to, the people across the fence or, or side to side or across the street. How about, okay, kids' connections? Those are the people you sit with in the stands and yell at the referees about your kid not getting the ball or whatever. You know that's true. Come on now. Yeah. And then ask those people you contact social media, and that may be your biggest fear today. Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, all those things I don't get involved with, but my kids all do. See, you're sent to Frank. You're sent to a specific group of people, and your Franks are different than my Franks. Think about it. You're going to minister to people that I'll never get to, and I'll minister to people you never get to. But if every single believer would reach out in word and deed to their Franks and realize they're called to be the UPS FedEx guy and deliver a message to Frank every single day, I'm here to tell you the entire world would hear the message of Christ. Everybody say, I am sent to Frank. I am responsible for Frank. Now, responsibility is not a four-letter word, but sort of it kind of is in America today. I mean, nobody wants to be responsible for anything. Let's protect my rights and limit my responsibilities. Let's sign contracts, and let's definitely don't get in a covenant. Amen. That's kind of the way, way things are today. But I'm here to tell you, you're responsible for Frank. You know what responsibility is, don't you? It's a task or duty you're expected or required to do. Well, let's say it like this then. If I'm an ambassador for Christ, then I have a task or duty that Jesus expects me and requires me to perform. Yeah, I may have to sit down. I may be stepping on my toes. Excuse me. Out. Yeah, responsibility in America today is, is not something that, that anybody wants to have. It's, it's somebody else's fault. We want to play the blame game. But folks, I'm here to tell you, there's coming a day 
when Jesus is coming back and everybody has a date with destiny. And I'm so thankful that I get to live eternally with my Father. But people who are lost, they have to live eternally with their dad, and he's not near as good. Amen? And so as churches, as believers, we begin to realize we have to find Frank. But the big question is, how do you do that? How do I minister to my Franks? I mean, it's easier to go to Guatemala. It's easier to go to Costa Rica. It's easier to go to Africa because they want to hear about God. But how do I find Frank? How do I minister to Frank? How do I share my faith with Frank? Well, let me give you three things I want you to write down tonight, three things I want you to do, especially between now and Easter with your Franks. Three things I want you to remember. And these come straight from Jesus. This is what Jesus did. This is how Jesus shared his faith with his friends. Number one, you got to connect before you direct. You got to connect with people first and foremost. Think about what Jesus did over there in Luke 19. There's a guy up in a tree, a little wee little man, Zacchaeus. Jesus looks at Zacchaeus and says, Zacchaeus, you dirty dog sinner, you tax collector, you, you notoriously wicked, vile individual. Get down here and repent. Get at my feet and beg for mercy. Yeah, that's kind of dumber than a box of rocks, isn't it? Yeah, that's not going to happen. No, you know what he said? Hey, Zach, man, let's do lunch. Everybody wants to do lunch. Barbecue, uh-huh, you got a full moon right down the street, boys and girls. Yeah, come on now, chow chow on your, on your barbecue, that's good stuff. Yeah, he said, let's do lunch. Folks, I'm here to tell you, people don't care what you know till they know that you care. Jesus knew we were harassed. Jesus knew that we were, were, were disturbed and we were on our knees. And he said, I'll come and I'll take your place and I'll die for you. Jesus understood us. Jesus cared for us. See, we have to realize that, that people need to realize how much we care about them. And the only way that happens is by spending time with them. Remember, Jesus was sent to sinners. He didn't become a sinner. Amen? You know, years ago, when I was pastoring in Cheyenne, Wyoming, I was telling my congregation, I said, folks, it's time for us to seek and save the lost. It's time for us to go out and find the lost. You go out and bring them in. Go out and look for people in your sphere of influence who are notorious sinners. And we're going to prove to them that we care about them and we love them. And we're going to feed them, and we're going to reach out to them. And I preach constantly on it to my people. And then all of a sudden, I told them, I told them one day, I said, in six months, I hope you're uncomfortable going to this church. I said, in six months from now, I hope that we have such notorious, wicked people coming in and getting born again that you're almost a little uncomfortable. And that's back when we were still wearing coats and ties to church. And I'm telling you what, six months later, I was uncomfortable in my own church. Because they did a great job going into highways and byways and finding Frank and connecting with Frank and bringing Frank to church. But the great thing about it was when Frank came to church, Frank got saved. Because he experienced the presence and the power of God. But it was us connecting as a church and giving people an opportunity to come to church. We started doing services for them and not for us. Well, that's a novel idea, isn't it? 
to have a church not for all of us Christians, but have a church for somebody who's far from God so they can become near to God and to actually come to church and think it's a good day. And we started doing stuff like that. We started connecting. And I'm here to tell you, when you connect with people, when you begin to go out of your way to listen to them and pay attention to them, you wave at your neighbor rather than head into the house, you take time to stop at the mailbox and talk for a few minutes, you actually pray for opportunities at the water cooler to stop and talk to that Auburn fan, even though you're a Road Tide fan. Yeah, Road Tide. But, but the deal is, when you do all of that, all of a sudden what you do is you prepare the ground for the seed. Everybody say prepare the ground. Mark chapter 4. Remember what it says over here in Mark 4? In Mark chapter 4, in verse 14, and the sower soweth the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves, and so endure for a time. Afterward, when afflictions or persecution arise, the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among the thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering and choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, that hear the word, they receive it, and they produce fruit thirty, sixty, and a hundred fold. Number two, number one, you got to connect before you direct. And number two, you got to sow seed. Number two, you got to plant a seed into the ears and the hearts of your friends. So you have to realize everybody starts out as hard ground. Every single one of us at one time was hard ground. And then all of a sudden, somebody's life begins to reflect and show the love of Jesus. And then all of a sudden, there's a little dirt in there. Now we might be a little bit like rocky ground, but a little bit's getting in. It's popping up every now and then. And they keep sowing and keep sowing. And now, now we're starting to get it. But the cares of this world, deceitfulness and riches, lust of other things keep entering in. But eventually, we end up becoming good ground. Back when I was 20 years old, I was raised in Bymont, Alabama. You probably don't know where that is. That's north of Coleman. Great family. I had amazing parents. Took me to church. And I kind of sort of made a decision for Christ. And then I went to college at Sanford University. My sophomore year, I met a girl. And most guys do. They met a girl. And all of a sudden, this girl started hanging out. But I noticed she was different. Because this girl, not only did she talk about Jesus, but she acted like Jesus. What a novel idea. Yeah. And so I started hanging out with her. We started dating a little bit. One day she calls me up my, in my dorm room. That's before cell phones. You know, we had that old phone. Hello. And uh, she calls me up and hey, I want to talk to you in the calf. We're getting ready for spring break, getting ready to leave. I said, she's going to tell me she loves me. Oh, yes, yeah, she wants to be my girl. I mean, I'm going to the calf. Just, oh, yeah. And I get in there, and I sit down in the cafeteria right across from her. She said, I just want to let you know, I don't want to ever go out with you again. Yeah, that's what I thought. What's up with that? What's not to love? Come on. 
And she said, look, I've dated guys like you before. And I told myself I'd never do it again. You don't really love God like I do. And you're really not living for Jesus. I'm not even sure he's your Savior, but he's definitely not your Lord. I don't want to make you mad. I won't make you upset. But I'm just telling you, I'm done. And she starts to get up and walk away. And I'm almost speechless. And you can tell I talk a lot, you know. And I said, okay, wait a second. So if Jesus is really Lord and Savior of my life, you'll go out with me. She said, I would consider it. I literally got up and I said, you give me a week and I'll be back. You know, I've been playing around with church for a while. But the ground was getting good. And all of a sudden her witness started, started piquing my interest. And all of a sudden... She begins to tell me her story. All of a sudden, she begins to tell me about her love for God and begins to, to change. I drive out of Birmingham. I stop at a Christian bookstore for the first time in my life. I walk in and say, I need a book that tells me how to live for God. And the guy, seriously, I did this. And the guy behind the counter says, go right down there. There's an orange book called The Spirit-Filled Life, Navigator Press, pick it up. I literally went over there, paid a buck for it, drove home to Vimont, Went upstairs in my parents' log house, and yes, we did have a log cabin. That's true. I read that book. I got on my hands and knees, and I prayed that prayer, and Jesus changed my life. Just like that. You never know what a seed will do. You never know what a story will do. You never know what taking the time and sharing with somebody, what it would change their life. I went back to school, and I told her, I said, I'm on fire for God. I've even memorized a couple of Bible verses. Let's go. I got salvation, not galvation. Amen. Because it changed my life. You know, there's a story in the Bible about a guy over Mark chapter 5 called the Madman of Gadara. I mean, he was famous. They had billboards. Come see the Madman of Gadara. He cuts himself. He does all these crazy things. Come see the madman of Gadara. Jesus walks up and says, hey, dude, what's going on? Jesus cast the devil out of him. All of a sudden, he's completely delivered. He is thrilled about it. He hangs out with Jesus. He eats with Jesus. And then they're getting ready to leave. They're going, they're going out of town. Jesus is getting a boat. And here's the scene. I'll read it out of Mark 5, 18 through 20, the message. It's on the screen. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the demon-delivered man begged to go along. But he wouldn't let him. Jesus said, go home to your own people, the Franks in your life. Tell them your story, what the master did, and how he had mercy on you. The man went back and began to preach in the ten-town area about what Jesus had done for him. He was the talk of the town. Everybody said, go tell a story. Now, everybody said this time like you really mean it, wake up. And everybody say this. Say, I got a story to tell. I'm here to tell you, you've got a story to tell. And Jesus said, don't get in the boat. Go tell your story. See, we think we have to learn the Romans road. We think we have to figure all these things out. But all you have to do is sow a seed. And how do you plant a seed? You tell a story. Years ago, when I got born again, after coming to encounter with that girl, I started, I joined a church. And two years in, I'm fired up for God. I want to do evangelism, man. E-E, evangelism explosion. Let's go get somebody saved. 
And so I go through EE, Wednesday night we meet at the church, we eat a meal, we get our little cards, we drive to a person's house, we pull out the maps, that's before you had the phone, you know, and you find out where these people live. I have these two ladies with me, they're my trainers, and we knock on this guy's door, he's a single man, we walk in, he invites us in. I do a great job of presenting the gospel. Roman roads, I got it down. I have memorized, and it doesn't sound like I've memorized and I'm doing a great job. And then all of a sudden, I get to the kicker. It's getting born again. And I told the guy, I said, you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? He said, not at all. I only let you in here because the girls with you are real pretty. I'm serious. I'm not making this up. And he said, it's time for y'all to leave. I've heard enough. And he literally opened his door and kicked me out. I told the Lord, I said, I'll never do that again. I'm done. I quit EE. I quit door, going door to door, and I quit sharing my faith. But you see, at that point in my life as a believer, I thought I had to save the soul. I thought it depended on Marcus. I forgot it depended on Jesus. But years later, I, I found out something. I sowed the seed. Jesus saves the soul. I'm called to be a seed sower, not necessarily a soul winner. And all of a sudden, it freed me up. You mean all I have to do is tell my story and tell people how cool God is and how great our church is and what, what's going on? That's all I got to do? I said, yeah, that's all you got to do. I said, I can sow seed. If you want to get a harvest, what have you got to do? If you want to get a harvest, what do you got to do? You got to sow seed. You'll never see a farmer down here in the wire grass looking at a bunch of dirt going, where's the harvest? And another farmer walks up and says, well, Bill, when would you plant the seed? He said, Joe, I didn't plant no seed. Y'all too smart down here. So you realize if you're going to get a harvest, you got to sow a seed. I'm going to tell you, church, this church, just keep sowing seeds. You got to sow a seed to get a harvest. You got to tell your story. Um, we had to come home unexpectedly a few months ago from the U.K., Something occurred. We had an opportunity. And so I literally had to get on a plane and, and get out of there and get home and take care of a situation. And so, uh, I mean, I get up that morning. I'm not thinking anything except get on. Get my wife in the seat. Get me in the seat. There's a girl here. She starts talking to us, and we start connecting. I, I do this all the time. I connect without even thinking. And we start talking, connecting. I start finding out about her story. She's in her 20s. She's going to New York to see the Big Apple for four days and hang out with a friend. And all of a sudden, I just start connecting. Then we take the obligatory two-hour nap. Then we wake up, connect some more. And then all of a sudden, she asks me a question, and now I'm in seed sowing mode. I tell her a story. I tell her what we do for a living. Tell her about God. Tell her about how I got saved. Tell her about this amazing woman who's who's sitting beside me, how my first wife passed away when I was in my 40s. I was tall, bald, and skinny, which is not a good combination if you're looking for chicks. That's all I got to say. No disrespect, ladies, but it's just not. They all want tall, dark, and handsome, not tall, skinny, and bald. And how God brought this amazing woman into my life. I mean, that's a great story. God gets all the glory. I don't get any of it. And then she starts talking to me a little bit about her experience as a little girl. She went to a Christian camp one time. They talked about Jesus, but she doesn't understand the Bible. She and I just began to talk to her. And then 
All of a sudden, on the inside, the Holy Ghost says, go to number three. Remember, number one is connect. Number two is sow seed, tell your story. Number three, give her a God moment. Give her an opportunity to experience the power and the presence of God. And I just asked her, I said, would you like to ask Jesus into your heart? And we're at 30,000 feet going into New York, Newark, New Jersey. And she says, yeah, I'd love to. My wife grabbed her hand, led her to the sinner's prayer. And I began to say, well, you may not have felt something, but you got born again. She said, no, something happened. It was cool as grits, man. And grits are cool. She said, no, something in here changed. And here I am with an opportunity in my life. I've got a crisis going on. God took care of it, thankfully, and is taking care of it. But I'm here to tell you, right in the midst of all of that, I got to connect, sow a seed, give her a God moment. And it changed her life. She's back in England, believing God and hooking her up with the church. See, the third thing you got to do is you got to give them a God moment. You got to give them an opportunity to experience the power and presence of God. You know, we came in here tonight. The minute we walked into this room, I felt the presence of God. When the music was going and, and, and everything we were worshiping, man, I thank God for the promises of God. That presence, that power that's in the house. See, years ago when we began to do this at our church, I had a guy in my church and he said, Pastor, I know I'm going home to be with the Lord. I'm good with that. But my, all the people in my family, they're sinners. When you do my service, do it here at the church, and I want you to present Christ. I want you to do an altar call. Because he knew, you know, we've been doing lots of altar calls at the church. He said, I want you to do one. So Tom went home to be with the Lord, had a huge funeral, lots of people. His family sat in the center section like this. I got up, and we just talked about Jesus. And then finally I said, look, guys, if you want to give your heart to the Lord and be with your brother, your uncle, your cousin, whatever your relation is, and you want to be with him in the future, just stand up right now and accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. And 24 people stood up and got born again. There was a lady there, and I noticed a young man with her, but there was another man right there, Blackbeard. And uh, man's man. And uh, he, he stayed still. Well, she started coming to church, and she drug him with him. And every Sunday, he'd sit there, and during the altar call, he would white-knuckle it. You know what I'm talking about? He'd grab a chair, man. He is not letting go. And so finally, one Sunday, I just said, I got to find out what's going on with this dude. So I walked up to him and said, man, what's going on? I know you won't accept Christ. We're out in the foyer of the church. He said, Pastor, you just don't know how mean I am. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've put my family through. And the guy got choked up. I said, look, Jesus died for you. The rest of us got in on it. But he died for the meanest man. And if you're the meanest man, he died for you. He wants you to come home. He's standing on the porch. He's looking, and you just need to take a step. If you'll take a step, he'll come after you. And so next Sunday, I didn't know if the guy would show up. Next Sunday, he's sitting in his spot. I give the altar call. And with tears running down his big, burly face, this railroad engineer walks right around. And by the time he gets here, there's so many tears running down his face, it's literally coming off his face onto the ground. 
And I had the privilege of putting my hand in his hand and leading him to the Lord and seeing Jesus take the stony heart out and put a new heart in. See, God wants his house full. But it requires each and every one of us to invite. You're familiar with this scripture, but over here in the book of Luke 14, 23 and 24, and the Lord said unto the servant, go into the highways and the hedges, compel them to come, that my house may be filled. Contemporary English, go out along the back roads, the fence roads, and make people come in so that my house will be full. And then the master said, then go to the country roads. Whoever you find, drag them in. I want my house full. You got to invite them. You got to compel them. And you got to bring them. It is said that it requires a person be invited to church 18 times before they will accept an invitation if they are unchurched, backslid, and not in the mood to go to church. Everybody say 18. Everybody say, I got some inviting to do. You got that guy, you've invited him a couple times to church. He hadn't come, well, you got 16 more invites to go. Come on now. Yeah, absolutely. It says that it requires seven times of hearing the gospel presented clearly until they'll accept Christ and be born again. He said, I want my house filled. He said, invite them, bring them, drag them. Everybody say, drag them. I mean, we're in the South. You got pickup trucks here, boys and girls. Come on now. You got ropes. Come on. Yeah. In England, they don't have pickup trucks. I'm serious. The cars are this big. Yeah, drag them. He said, I want my house filled. Let me tell you something, folks. Multiple invitations by multiple people inside this house will bring multiplication to this house. Did y'all catch that? You've got Easter Sunday coming up. You've got a great opportunity to connect, to sow seed, tell your story, and then bring them. Feed them, folks. If you feed them, they will come. We started doing that in our church, man. The first Sunday of every month, we fed people, and they came. Our church went from 125 people to 350 people in two years because they drug them. I didn't drag them, they did. And I'm here to tell you, sinners know sinners. And once we got a few sinners in the house and they got converted, they started bringing all the other sinners. It was great, it was wonderful. I've never had so much fun in my life. Every Sunday, people are getting born again. Every Sunday, it's the happiest place on earth. One Sunday we had a guy, this woman literally was dragging her husband to church for months. He's in church, but he's not in Christ. And I, he's over there listening to me every week. He comes up and tells me jokes, but he says, preacher, I don't want none of that Jesus stuff. I wonder what the deal was she made with him to get him to come to church. But, but every Sunday he's coming. And finally he starts swaying to the music. This is a military guy in his 60s, you know. He starts swaying, then all of a sudden he starts half-masking it. Not full mask, but half. And I looked at Paige one day, and I said, you know, I, I, think, I think Mr. C must have gotten saved. She said, he must have. I mean, we said sinner's prayer every week. I told my people, you better bring lost people. You're getting born again every single week. You got to bring them, or you're getting saved again. I may make you walk up here. So, so all of a sudden one Sunday, I got over here in Mr. C's section one Sunday, 
impressed by the Lord and said, somebody over here needs to get saved today. You need to give your heart to Jesus. And Mr. C, everybody's standing up. Mr. C crawls across the chairs. I mean, literally, I'm serious. He's over here in this row here. He gets on these chairs. He comes out. He hops down. And Mr. C is a military guy. He's not Pentecostal. He starts doing this all the way down to me. He's not Pentecostal. I said, Mr. C, what, what are you doing? He said, I want to get saved. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. And he said it that loud, that far. And the whole place went bonkers. He put his hand in my hand. Jesus became his Lord and Savior, took out that old Sunday heart, put a new heart in. And it changed my church. You know, I made the decision to give altar calls. I made the decision we'd be a, a soul-winning, soul-seeking church. One Sunday, we had a crowd about this size, had people in the back. They weren't listening to my message. I was totally offended, and I decided to end it without doing an altar call. I said, Lord, I ain't doing no altar call. It's a really quick mini talk the Lord and I had as I was praying the last prayer. He said, didn't you tell me you'd do an altar call? I said, yes, sir, I did. He said, I told you I would. All right, Lord, I'll do it. So I decided to do an aggressive altar call. Let's just show the Lord. Every eye open, every head looking at me. If you were to die today, if you were walking across the parking lot and you were to die and your heart stopped, where would you go, heaven or hell? And let's talk about it. I did five-minute off call. And I know everybody that's in there. I said, now, if you'd like to get saved today, come on down here. The two people in the back who've been talking the whole service started walking down. They walked down, and all of a sudden I realized that they're not Americans. They're Chinese. She tells me her story. She says, yeah, I go to the University of Wyoming, 55 miles away from here. And yesterday, me and my dad are at the quad, and somebody walked up to us and said, if we go to this church today, we can get saved. And I'm not making that up. And I went, oh, my gosh. Lord, you really want us to be a, a soul-seeking, seed-sowing bunch of people, don't you? You sent somebody all the way 55 miles to get saved. Brought tears to my eyes. Gentleman got born again. She got born again. Two days later, my secretary calls me up in my office and said, Pastor, that Chinese guy's out front. I said, what? He said, he is. So I go out front. They're going right to the airport in Denver. They stopped by the church because they wanted to take pictures of where he got born again. He asked me very politely, could, could we go into the sanctuary and get a picture of where I got born again standing by the pulpit? I have a dream that one day when I'm in China doing missions, I'm going to go to an underground church and there's going to be a picture of me and the Chinese guy. Because <laughs> he's got to have it on a church billboard somewhere, man. I said all that to say this, folks. God loves people. God's in the people, people. And there are lost people every single day. You've got Franks who are lost. I know you think they're all saved, but they're not. And you've got people who are far from God and need to be near to God. And you are the ambassador that God is sending into their life every day. You are their salt. You are their light. You are the example. you got the goods. And I'm here to tell you, this church has got the goods and it has a mandate has a vision from your leadership, from your pastors, and they have vision. And we all get to go out in the harvest, and we get to connect, sow seed, bring them in Easter Sunday. Because I'm here to tell you, if they come this Easter Sunday, they'll get born again. If they're backslid, they'll come back home.
but, but all of this is what we're called to do. I close with Proverbs 11.30 in the Amplified. The fruit of the uncompromisingly righteous is a tree of life, and he who is wise captures human lives for God as a fisher of men. He gathers and receives them for eternity. Folks, we're called to be fishers of men, not keepers of the aquarium. Aquariums, they get dirty. We had fish that I'd have to take out of my pond and shine and put them in an aquarium. The aquarium got so dirty, one day Paige said, you think you're going to clean that? I think I can't even see the fish anymore. Aquarium keeping is no fun. Fishing is great fun. You go out, bring new fish in, clean them up, you develop them, you grow them, you disciple them, and you go out and do it all again. And I'm here to tell you, folks, this is a fishing center. And God has put you in position and given you a bunch of empty seats so that he can fill them with your help. The Great Commission doesn't get done because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead and presented his blood at the Holy of Holies. It doesn't get done if that's all that happens. The Great Commission gets accomplished and gets done when the rest of us get a heart for people and we go out and we tell our stories and we bring them home. Jesus has done his part, continues to do his part, and now we get to do our part. And the great thing is he anoints us, he empowers us, and he puts us in position every day to just go find Frank. Let's go find Frank. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this house. We thank you for the people in this house and the call and the vision that you have for this house. And so, Lord, we just thank you for it. Father, let these words get down in their ears. Let it produce fruit in Jesus' name. And, Father God, I thank you that the vision of the house is clear. The vision of this house is clear. Seek and save. Disciple and develop. Build relationships one person at a time. I heard the Lord say, the table is set and the table is ready. You have prepared the meal and you have placed it. So it is now time to go out and invite, compel, and bring them in. For this house has been built for such a time as this. You as a house, and you as an individual, you are prepared and ready. So go out and find the guest. Go out and share your story. For as you do, those seeds will go down in their hearts, and it will produce fruit. They'll hear it, and they'll receive it, and they'll come into this house. And when they walk into this house, the table is set. The table is ready. And they'll partake of my love, they'll partake of my goodness, and they'll partake of my compassion. And as they do, it will go down as a tasty morsel into their bellies, and it will produce fruit. And many will be saved. Many will come back home. And many will enter the race with you and partake of the grace that is on this house. So rejoice and be glad for your day is here. Rejoice and be glad for the day has come. For the house is ready, and I'm ready to pour out my grace upon this house like never before. Signs, wonders, miracles, and healings. Love and compassion like never before. And it will flow into this entire region. And you will be one of several lighthouses that I will send 
the lost sheep to. I will send them to you, one here, one there. But then you'll see the dozens by the dozens coming to the house because the table is prepared. Well, praise God, let's rejoice for that word. That's a good word. That's a good word. Yeah, yeah. Well, I heard the Spirit of the Lord say, fear not. Fear not. If you tell them, they'll receive. So fear not. You've been sitting on that story. You've been sitting on that miracle for quite some time. So go ahead and tell your friends. Go ahead and tell your families about it. Go ahead and tell them about what God's doing in your life. Because the time is now. The ground is ready, and they'll receive. So go ahead and tell them. Go ahead and tell them and tell them now. Well, praise God. Praise God. You know, for years I had a relative that I would witness to. And back before my zeal caught up to my knowledge, the other way around, that family member threw me out of their house. And I became very discouraged. I was very close to that family member. I was preaching, but I was preaching from a place of condemnation. And they threw me out of the house. And I got discouraged. But then my knowledge kept, caught up with my zeal, and I just began to love them. God restored the relationship, and I just started loving them. I realized I, I get to sow seed. I didn't have to save the soul. So I just started sowing seed. And every time I got around them, and, and every time we interacted, and then when I married Paige, she just loved on them, wrote them a note, told them how much they cared about them and wanted to see them in heaven one day. That family member came to live with us for a season because of some things that were happening. And a couple years later, the time was right, the ground was right. A little girl, I think she was about fourth grade at the time, came up to me and said, we got, we got to tell them about Jesus. They need to get saved. Paige came to me, it's time. We took them out on their birthday, shared a meal with them, drove to their house. Before they got home, I just said, hey, you want to pray that prayer? Looked, looked at me square in the eye and said, yes, it's time to pray the prayer. They accepted Christ Jesus. That was 12 years ago. Praise the Lord. I don't care, folks. It ain't over. You keep sowing seed. You keep connecting. Jesus changed your life. Amen. Praise the Lord. We believe you are blessed by this message today, and we encourage you to stay in God's Word. Cornerstone's mission is to be actively involved in the Great Commission by raising up and equipping a body of believers who are empowered with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God for the purpose of impacting those people around them with the love and goodness of God. For more information about Cornerstone Church and other resources that are available to assist you in your spiritual growth, contact our office at 334-983-1848 or visit us online at ccdothan.org.